Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining us once again. Today, we look at the task of design and how is it that we can design our services and our programs in such a way that they can delight citizens and really give us those insights that we need to be able to be more effective in our role. And we'll be discussing that particular task today with Joanne Langham, who's a consultant at Back to Back Research and Design. She's also a tutor and research assistant at the University of Queensland Business School. But prior to that, she's been in government for a very long time. She worked as a Senior Director of Corporate Research and Intelligence at the Australian Tax Office, where she created a professional social research capability. She's also acted as a governance review lead responsible for managing stakeholder relationships and the design of new operating models. Interestingly, her PhD investigated citizen experience measurement from a public sector perspective where it was about measuring the effectiveness of public sector client experiences. She worked for the ATO for 13 years, and some of those roles included strategic design lead and director of effective engagement. And she joins me on the line now. Joanne, thanks very much for joining me on GovComs. Very happy to be here, David. Thank you. So before we get to the framework that you've developed, because I I do want to really quite explore that because I think there's huge value and we'll make sure that people listening to the podcast can find a place where they can go and explore that uh, framework in a little bit more detail. But perhaps if we might just go back a little bit uh, into your experience around design and the evolving of, of design and understanding of design uh, in the public sector context. You, you've been in the in this game for, for quite some time, but perhaps looking back about 10, 15 years, where, where are the origins of that, where government started to think about the citizen in a more uh, open way um, to be able to design better policy and, and better programs and services and indeed regulation? Mm. Oh, well, it was um, back in the early 2000s and um, I know the tax office was one of the first organisations uh, probably globally um, that actually started to do this work. Um, they started uh, and with an activity called Listening to the Community and uh, the tax system itself was going through a, a radical change at that stage. There was a, um, a move towards the self-assessment approach, but also um, the GST um, was brought in around that time. And it was really important that the government took a different approach to engaging with citizens. So rather than um, looking at them from a compliance problem perspective, that it was actually understood that they were in a partnership or a collaboration Uh, with citizens. So this big activity took place and the ATO um, brought along or started to develop this design capability. And um, it's gone through quite a few uh, uh, evolutionary stages, I guess, since that point. And um, they've learnt a lot. They've actually got quite a a good capability now. 
Um, but yes, there was a lot of work done to understand how best to engage with the community during this time and just taking a different perspective. So looking at what's the experience like from the, the public's perspective rather than from a public administrator's perspective. And doing that, it enhanced the way that the organisation was interacting with the community. So messages were clearer, um, they were answering questions that um, people needed the answers to at the time that they needed the answers for them. And it also improved and, and streamlined their interactions. So it, it also improved the reputation of the organisation as well and the credibility. So it was a it was a really interesting period, certainly an exciting period to work in the tax office. So what were some of the challenges that you had back then in sort of shifting the mindset of the, the public sector away from compliance more to this notion of, of collaboration and, and partnership? Uh, oh, there was quite a few uh, different challenges. The the I think there was a big shift or there needed to be a big shift in how public servants understood uh, the level of competence and also the, the type of questions that uh, the public had and that they weren't all there just trying to get around the system, that they were actually, most of the people um, really wanted to do the right thing. They really wanted to make sure that they, they met their obligations and um, most of the time they were also falling into um, holes in the system, just areas in the design that were either too complex, um, they were written in uh, legal jargon or they used uh, public service speak and um, or had required evidence that was just um, cumbersome for, for people to try and manage and understand and, and provide to the, to the public sector. So... Shifting that um, that mindset and, and making making public servants or helping public servants understand what it was like from the citizen perspective was quite difficult. But that's where the design process came in because we could help them walk in the shoes of the user and um, get them to actually engage with the community and see that this is not what the public was was like. That they were actually really out there most of the time trying to do the right thing. And so what were some of those steps that you took in terms of maturing the, the design process and, and taking the, the public servants on that journey from suspicion to collaboration? Um, okay, well, there was, a, there was a couple of different things that happened. One of the things was the compliance model was introduced um, to the ATO and it's, it's probably a, a, a poor name given what we've just talked about, but it was um, developed by Valerie Braithwaite and her colleagues at the time, which showed them that there was a um, there were different levels of interaction with the community, and that there were different attitudes that required different types of interaction. So this was a, a thinking model, I guess, that was introduced to the organisation at the time. Um, along with that, there was also um, the capability itself was being developed. So uh, the organisation instigated. A requirement for projects to engage with designers and actually go through a co-design process. So bringing uh, the community into sessions and working with them and testing or experimenting with your ideas and understanding where things could go wrong um, was quite an eye-opener, I think, for many people because 
when they saw that things that they just assumed were simple for the for the public to do, so for example, back in the time, interacting with a PDF, for example, back then, some of the community didn't even know what a PDF was, <laughs> um, and yeah, it was it was a real eye opener for some of the public servants who who thought everything just had to be in a PDF and therefore it would fix everything. Um, and um, what they learned was that, yeah, some people couldn't even download it. They didn't know what it was. They were suspicious. And just changing and seeing how people interacted with it really started to get these people to think, these public servants to think about, well, what could I do differently to make it simpler? So it was a bit of a journey. It wasn't something that just happened straight away. But for for different people, those light bulb moments went on when they actually saw the community trying to work with their products and then they got a bit of perspective on how much expertise the public servants actually did have <laughs> in regards to the difference between them and the public. Um, so, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. Indeed, though, 20 years on, you know, citizen-centred design, co-design, design thinking, whichever label you want to apply to it, is now uh, commonplace. You know, it's used pretty much in you know, almost all elements of, you know, the design of whether it's information, communication, engagement, uh, you know, policy design. Where do you see it in terms of the maturity of of the process? And do you, do you believe or do you accept that it is now mainstream? No, I, I actually I don't accept that it is mainstream. And I've done quite a bit of work, not just in Australia, but in other countries. I did some work in Canada. And Canada is actually um, a very good example of a, a society that really embraces collaboration. And um, there's still difficulty. I think there's almost like a, a paradox, I guess you'd say, um, between design or um, innovation and, and that type of work and the public sector mindset. So um, there, it's the public sector itself is quite risk averse and it should be. It's, it's supposed to be stable and enduring. Um, but innovation and design thinking is disruptive. Um, so these two cultures tend to, um, I wouldn't say clash, but they certainly struggle to work really well together. Um, so in some organisations, they've done it better or worse. Um, and it, it still has some way to go, I think, in a true acceptance across the board. I think... Um, yeah, there's, there's certainly some way to go with that. And also understanding the value of this work, and this is where my work actually uh, comes in, was for some areas they still want to see numbers. They still want to see productivity measures. And design is very organic, uh, dynamic. <laughs> People think of it as in, it's in the soft aspect of, of interaction and, and development. Uh, but it's actually a really hard thing to do and it's a hard thing to measure. So um, trying to understand the value of it and how it's contributing to the return on investment, that's a big area that still uh, needs to grow and, and mature. We'll come to that in, in, in just a moment, but perhaps if you could describe that sort of fixed mindset and where is the rub and why is it that people don't see um, the value in, in, as you say, in those more traditional public sector 
um, cultural um, uh, rubrics that are in place? What, what, where, where's the resistance? Oh, there, there's lots of element. This isn't a, a simple um, problem to solve because the public sector is a complex system, as we know. Um, but a couple of the things I think that are, are key to this is there. it's very risky doing this design work. Um, you have to be vulnerable and you have to actually be open to failure. And when I say failure, I mean testing concepts and, and changing them. And the, the government really likes to be able to put something forward, estimate a cost for it, and then just build it and deliver on it because it's a promise that they've done, uh, that they've made. And what happens with design, as it should, is that it evolves and it changes and it shifts in a different direction to what you may originally have thought. So it's very difficult for people who like this control to actually let that go and follow just a, a process and trust that you will get that outcome. Um, it's also difficult if you're dealing with areas that aren't design areas. So like working in the tax office, working with lawyers or auditors <laughs> um, who, who like the rigid and, and that's... <laughs> they and like the certainty. They do like the certainty and that doesn't mean they're not creative. I don't want you to think that I'm at all <laughs> saying that these people cannot problem solve and cannot be creative, but they're used to working in a very different environment. So you're asking them to to step outside their comfort zone to and become vulnerable. And the environment can be quite harsh. Um, so it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do. And design and this creativity actually requires a very safe psychological space for it to work well. Mm. And uh, so you have, to, you have to create that environment and it can be really difficult in a political environment, which the public service can be quite political. So there's, these are just a couple of the challenges um, that occur um, in the public sector. There's lots more, but I think that's probably the big one. Mm. And so ultimately then, is it, is it leadership that will help to cure this? I do think that leadership is a, a is a critical component. Absolutely, I think um, that where there has been um, uh, more success, where the organisations have been more successful with the approach, it's been where there has been leadership from the top and advocacy through middle management um, across the board. Um, of course, you've got to have the capability within the organisation and that cultural change, but. Without that leadership and without that strong mandate to do this work, it does tend to get shelved. And we have seen similar things happening across um, uh, the world at the moment with the closure of a lot of the well-known innovation labs because innovation mm. labs are essentially design um, uh, teams. And um, they there has been like Mind Lab. Um, I know the, even the Australian government one, there's lots of shift in thinking, but a lot of it is this sort of uh, politicking that goes on. And it means that the evolution of these capabilities really only get to about two to three years into a maturing cycle or a maturity cycle, and they don't get to go beyond that. And you really need that, that advocacy and leadership to push beyond that. Which also goes to that earlier point, I think, around that measurement and, and evaluation piece and the proving up of the value such that you can resist 
moves such as that, if you're in a position where you can quite clearly demonstrate the impact that you're being able to have, uh, clearly there is a bit of a challenge there in the, the softer side of this. But are you confident that there are ways to, to measure the impact and measure the value such that you can create the business case for the capability? Oh, absolutely. Um, I know a lot of people are very sceptical about measuring the quality or the value of design, but I think if you would have asked those people maybe, you know, 50 years ago, could you measure intelligence, people would have gone no. But, uh, you know, we, we people were developing um, IQ tests and even though it's not actually measuring the thing itself, it measures proxies. And this is the same as what we do with my framework is, of course, you can't actually get out a ruler and measure the, the value of design. But what you can do is you can estimate proxies that tell you about um, or indicators that tell you about the value of, of the design and, and how it's impacted the people involved. So it's not about did you run a good design process, which, of course, will help you get to um, a good outcome if you do, but what was the outcome? Did it actually have a positive impact on the people that were involved? And that's not just the end user, so the citizen, but also the people who had to deliver that. Um, so I look at being able to estimate that as a, as a way of evaluating um, the design itself. And being able to do that gives a lot of um, certainty, that word that you used before, to the people who do like numbers. Um, and that is actually why I got into this was um, I tried to, over the years, I tried to demonstrate different ways of proving the value of, um, of design. And um, being able to get someone in the room and actually observe the users is the best way to do that. But often you can't get all of your stakeholders in the room and do it and to do that. So the qualitative um, part of it is quite is quite hard to do. So I was looking at this and saying, why can't we find a way of quantifying um, design? So um, I got this opportunity to head up the research capability at the ATO and connect it with design and what I tried to do was develop metrics that actually demonstrated how um, the designs that had been delivered by the organisation, and I mean the experiences, not just the products, et cetera, but how the overall experience had impacted the users and their perceptions of the organisation then because of it. And I found that this actually had a real impact on executive decision-making so people started to take notice about um, what things we were doing with the community, but also um, the types of designs that were being put forward. So things like the website, we developed metrics for that, um, but also um, processes around fairness in disputes. So um, yes, it had a it had a massive impact, and I, I certainly have very strong belief in um, metrics and measurement. So let's go to, to your framework. And is there somewhere where we could send people um, to be able to access it so as that they perhaps they could even pause the podcast at this point in time, go and get it, and then be able for you to 
have a look at it so as that they can understand it as as we go go through. So is, is there a place where someone can access it quickly to be able to to, to go through um, the design of the framework? Uh, there is a I, I haven't got the full thing published at this stage because it's still out to examination as part of my PhD research. Mm-hmm. Um, so it hasn't been published um, as such. Okay. However, what I can provide is a set of heuristics that people can um, access and use this to help develop um, their own metrics at this stage or even to ensure that their design, whatever that might be, whether it's... Um, a service or a product does actually include these elements. And so I've called that the XE heuristics um, and it's part of the core um, measurement approach for my framework. So even though you haven't got the specific measures there, you can see in the framework um, that there are four key um, areas that are evaluated which are related to product, process, service and effect or personal effect and what are those dimensions that are in the model. So they could download that off the website, so off backtoback.com.au. Okay. And um, they'll be able to look at that and and be able to even just mentally have a look at their own um, experiences or products that they're creating and say, how do I address each of these elements? Okay, so going through those, and if you would go, say, let, let's look at maybe a typical design process. How would you use these heuristics to be able to sense check the approach that you're taking? Well, the first thing that I do when I'm actually applying my framework is I develop a journey map across um, whatever is uh, being conducted or developed. So um, let's take a very simple Um, experience that I can recall and I've actually got some papers that are there that people can see how it's been applied to this so if they're interested in reading those. So um, say a tax experience where you're going to lodge your tax return this year. Um, So you'd map out the steps of that and that's not just about interacting with a tool um, like a form or um, my tax. It's about the whole process. So what do you do before you get to the actual filling out of the form? So there's um, the actual collection of receipts, the paying of bills, the, the, uh, all the other things that happen during the course of a year. Then there's the actual preparing of your tax return and then there's the lodging of your tax return. And then after that, there's the receiving of any information back from um, the tax agency. Okay, so that's, that's the experience. Um, overall. Now, what you would be doing is you'd be saying that each at, during each of those touch points, um, what is happening? What are the interactions that are taking place? What are the products and the process and the services that, that the users are having to interact with? And then you would look at the heuristics and you would say, how well has the design met the needs of the users at that point? And the users could also be um, the staff that are involved in the process. So you, don't forget them. <laughs> it's really important that you also ensure that they're engaged in this and that their experience is good because they will also make the overall experience good. So, for example, I'd be looking at it and saying, um, you know, during the lodgement process, 
um, how well designed is it? Is it is it a usable um, uh, interaction? Um, how responsive is the service? Um, do does do people feel that it's credible? Um, is it flexible? So does it allow people to um, come back and save things at a later date? Um, how much error management is in it? So does it prevent people from making mistakes where they, it could be avoided? You know, so you, you go through and you apply all these different things and you would actually um, then be able to give it a rating. And that's what my framework does is during each of these steps, um, I have an algorithm that's been developed and I can actually give you a score for each um, part of the process that they go through or the experience that they go through. And then you can track that over time. So it helps you not only identify what you're doing really well, but also what areas could be tweaked and improved um, during your experience. And um, that way you can actually prioritise which areas of the system need to be improved to actually um, make the experience better. Mm. Okay, that's fascinating. So, how how do you decide which you know whether it's responsiveness or or credibility or flexibility? How do you prioritise which of those is is most relevant to your particular uh, journey and and that um, exploration of the experience? Uh, well, that's actually it's a it's a core part of the methodology. So, when you actually before you apply it, uh, before you apply the framework you run a very limited pilot um, process with the users of, so whoever your target group is, and you get them to establish the things that are important to them um, and that are or are most important in the functionality and the um, seamlessness. And then those things actually get a score and then they're used within that overall final algorithm to weight the variables. Right. So I'm not going to get into the statistics of it. No. But that's essentially what you're doing is you're getting them to tell you which things are the most important and then what rating that they give those things. Got it's it. very similar in some ways to how um, ServeQual, which is um, the service quality uh, primary scale, yeah. works in that you're actually anchoring the concept or anchoring um, the importance of different uh, dimensions and then evaluating those according to how people see the, how important they are. Mm. So what's your ambition for the framework? How would you hope that it might be able to be used in order to you know, deliver better government services or, or products to, to the citizen? Oh, my, my, the whole reason why I set out to do this was really to um, ensure that the citizen's voice is actually included in the design. And what I'd like to see is public sector organisations take this on um, with a positive view, so not as this is there about critiquing the service, but about in aiding them to be more effective mm. in delivering their services. And... Um, being uh, applying the framework um, and I have an expert tool that goes with it um, to their to the work that they're doing and being able to track and improve it 
So use it in-house, whether it's published or not. I think publishing um, how it's how it's working for them is a and being transparent would be a great thing uh, for the public to be able to see. Well, this is this is working or this isn't. But even if they don't do that, um, using it with their own governance and performance measures, so it keeps them honest to themselves. If you know what I mean, it it, it actually would be a very good performance measurement tool. Uh, for an organisation to be able to see, well, how, uh, what is, after we do all of these different things that we do, so we provide call centres and we deliver communication products and and we, you know, deliver systems, how do, what does that actually look like mm. from the public's perspective mm. and how good are we performing in actually delivering what it is that we do, which is a public service? <laughs> mm. So um, that's sort of what my goal is. Well, fantastic! I think it's I think it's great. I'm just looking at it now, and so where can people go uh, to to learn more and and to access those heuristics and to and to understand a little bit more about your your research? Uh, yes, if they would like to go to the website, so backtoback.com.au. So is that the... back back to the numeral two or or spelt out? Uh, no, it's back number two. Back. Okay. <laughs> back to back.com.au. And um, as, as the um, framework is, I guess you'd say, examined and quality controlled, <laughs> yeah. um, it will be released through the, through the website. So, at, as an initial point, though, I will be releasing the heuristics, which I think all people um, involved in developing any kind of public sector experiences for citizens should be thinking about these heuristics and applying them to their to whatever it is that they're designing um, that will be available on the website and I'll also provide to anyone who wants to contact me directly I'm happy to talk about individual cases so if you do have a burning problem that you would like to evaluate in the short term I'm happy to um, assist um, and actually provide a, a draft version in confidence to organisations of the scale so that they can start using it because I'd like to see it used. Um, I just I need to be cautious until it's actually um, finished being examined. But um, I, I certainly, it's not far away. Uh, it's, it should be within the next two months. Okay, great. Well, congratulations on on taking all of that experience that you've had over the many years and and distilling it into what is a very, so far anyway at least, you know, a really useful way of being able to to look at the design and, as you say, to really put the citizen at the centre of what it is that we are trying to achieve and to really take this structured, organised um, approach to it such that we can test and validate the approaches that we're taking. So um, well done. Well done. I think it's, um, it's, it's a great step forward and certainly something that can be, you know, used by lots of people. It's got broad application, hasn't it? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And I know that I've had, because um, I've presented this paper, uh, several papers in the framework um, globally, um, and I've had interest from commercial organisations as well. So even though my intention was to set out to help citizens, I think others will actually try to um, apply it to their commercial experiences as well. And I think that will 
that will also be a very interesting um, approach to improving service experiences. So I do think it has a, a, broad, um, a broad appeal and a broad approach as well. Okay. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and spending time with the audience. I'm sure they'll be fascinated. The, a lot of communications people obviously thinking about how can they produce better communication outcomes for citizens. And I think there's so much that can be taken from your framework to apply to the way that they develop their particular um, services that they're designing. So um, I'm sure there'll be a huge amount of value uh, for the audience today. So thank you very much for coming in. And to you, the audience, thank you so much for coming back once again. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.